Hi Clutter Fairy fans, welcome to the Clutter Fairy Weekly for November 3rd, 2020. It's election day in the United States, so our first Ooh. public service <laughs> announcement is if you're in the United States and you haven't voted yet, get off go, of this go, Zoom go, meeting and go vote. <laughs> I'm your co-host, Ed Gumnick, and I'm speaking with Gail Goddard, professional organizer and owner of The Clutter Fairy in Houston, Texas. Hi, everybody. The Clutter Fairy Weekly is our weekly webcast and podcast where we talk about all things organizing. And we use your comments on all of our social media channels to drive our conversation so that we are covering topics that you're interested in. So we thank Thank you so much for doing that. If you're joining us in the Zoom meeting for the first time, you can share your comments and questions <laughs> via the chat, and I'll make sure Gail addresses them before we move on to another topic. You can also use the raise hand feature to let us know that you'd like to ask a question or make a comment yourself via audio or video. We're streaming the webcast live on Facebook, so you can also share your questions and comments there, and I'll relay them to Gail. And during the webcast every Tuesday, you can talk to us by calling 669-900-6833. Use meeting ID 993-419-863 and password clutter to join the meeting. That announcement <laughs> is largely for the benefit of our 730 podcast listeners. Yay! Wow. 730, woohoo! We're going to talk today, we're going to continue our series on the subject of value, but before we start, I want to share a great comment that came from Rowan, a frequent participant and commenter. I'm nominating this one for comment of the week. Rowan said, I just realized that my someday I will use this is someone else's even urgent now. I think that's such a such a great idea. My someday is someone else's now. That's a, right, a perfect way to make sense of giving the stuff away while it has value for someone else. Well, somebody else can get their hands on it, right? Because I, I, the corollary is... Um, stuffing it in the closet is not going to get it used any faster than it is right now. And I think that that's a great way to go, okay, I can either hide it in the closet or I can send it on down the river of stuff and let someone else use it. And um, I also wanted to say, hi, Rowan, I know that you are, um, you're trying to move this week and I know you're stressing about it. So thank you for spending your time making comments and we appreciate them because you always have clever things to say. So this is a really good one and we want you to remember that. I'm going to say it again. I just realized that my someday I will use this is someone else's even urgent now. And sometimes it, you can think Rowan in your head when you're standing in front of the closet and go, Rowan says it's my someday, but it might be somebody else's now. And so I can let it go. If that's useful to you, I hope it's helpful. Thanks so much. Today we're continuing our series on the subject of value. Value carries a lot of different meanings across the disciplines of psychology, sociology, economics, marketing, and so forth. And as we prepared for today's conversation, I ran across an essay that offered a definition of value that attempted to span as many of those disciplines as possible. This anthropologically based definition of value says that value is one, a conception of what is good, proper, or desirable in human life. Two, a person's willingness to pay the price of a good in terms of cash in return for perceived benefits. Three, a meaning or a meaningful difference. And four, an experience, the consequence that a thing provides or has the potential to provide. This definition is getting deeper into the philosophical realm than we usually like to go, but it contains a lot of food for thought. All of the elements of this definition come into play in our minds 
as we're standing in a store deciding whether to carry something to the checkout line or as, as we're sorting through piles of stuff trying to decide what stays and what has to go. Exactly. Today we're focusing on the economic component of that definition, the willingness to pay a price. This is what we might call the monetary value, what something is worth in terms of money. It sounds simple. Value is a person's willingness to pay a certain price for something. But it's actually quite a bit more complicated than it sounds at first, and we're going to get into all the factors that make it complicated. A lot of what my clients feel compelled to keep is motivated by the idea that an object is worth something to someone out there. And I agree that that's possible. Some items can be sold for cash. The question is always, how much? Not everything that your grandmother held onto is going to get assessed for $20,000 on the Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> In order to realize the value, in other words, convert it to cash, you have to go through a selling process that involves research and a lot of patience. Whether that's on eBay, Craigslist, or a garage sale, it requires time and effort to find a buyer whose willingness to pay matches the price you've decided to ask. And in all of these retail situations, we have to ask, which is the right price? Any of us who regularly go shopping are familiar with the concept of MSRP, and this stands for Manufacturer's Suggested Retail Price. In typical retail markets, that's the price you expect to pay nearly every day, nearly everywhere that an item is available for sale. But the key word in that phrase is suggested. The manufacturer has an idea what a retailer can get for the item, and most retailers will sell the item for that price because they know that most other retailers will sell it for that price. So a lot of us start by thinking of our stuff in terms of the price we paid for it, which might have been the MSRP or maybe a price discounted a little bit off of the MSRP. But here's where we need to introduce another term, which is depreciation. If you've ever shopped for a new car, you've been introduced to the concept of depreciation. Oh my gosh, yes. You've probably heard one rule of thumb or another about depreciation. A car loses 25% of its value the minute you drive it off the lot. Part of the reason for that quick drop in value is based on ordinary wear and tear, and part comes from the reality that another car with better features and a hot new color is coming in a few months. But it may not have occurred to you that just about everything you buy starts depreciating the minute you buy it. The groceries in your fridge provide an, a great example. The milk that you bought today won't be as good as it is tomorrow as it is today. In a week, you'll have to give it a sniff test every time you open the jug. And in two weeks, you probably won't even want to take the chance on the sniff test. I know some of you are asking, what about appreciation instead of depreciation? Yes, the opposite of depreciation is appreciation. And it does happen to certain categories of goods under certain circumstances. For example, a cute house in a nice suburb might appreciate in value faster than its materials are having to be re replaced or repaired. But for most of the things, time is the enemy of value. So what you pay for something, except in narrow, narrow circumstances, is no longer its real monetary value. Of course, a few trendy pieces of furniture, currently fashionable kinds of artwork, or collectible tchotchkes might have a robust secondary market. But it's important to recognize that that's usually just a momentary demand. If a fad passes without you managing to sell a collectible item to realize a profit, any so-called appreciation evaporates overnight. And the perfect example of that was 
Beanie Babies. There was a moment in time when Beanie Babies were all the rage and everybody was paying crazy money to collect them. And people thought they were going to get rich on Beanie Babies. And so they sunk all their money into Beanie Babies only, only to have the market become saturated and the bottom drop out. And all that appreciation evaporated in a very short period of time. That kind of immediate rise, super popular appreciation and value and precipitous drop happens a lot <laughs> in the collectible market. And so you really have to be able to ride the wave and be good about getting in and out of the market to make any money. And in that way, it's kind of like, you know, playing with stock. Yeah. And you have to be careful not to be deeply invested in a trend when it, the moment it ends, because then you're stuck with inventory that's taking up taking up space and is then uh, mocking you for missing the boat yeah <laughs> there are other factors that make a monetary notion of value a lot more complicated than just the typical price that we pay or even the last price that was paid for something one of the complications is a phenomenon called the endowment effect uh, we've talked about this before this is a discovery that came from the field of psychological research which found that people are more likely to retain an object they own than to acquire that same object when they do not own it. We've talked about it before, and I won't rehash the details of the research, but the bottom line is that we come to perceive something we own as more valuable than an identical object that's owned by someone else. In the Clarifier universe, we've come to recognize the endowment effect as the source of what we call the garage sale conundrum, which is the mindset of a person who typically won't pay more than a dollar for anything at a yard sale, who suddenly wants to put $20 price tags on all of their own stuff when they put it out in the driveway. Another complication about monetary value is the sunk cost fallacy. That's the impulse that makes us keep something that isn't working, working for us, I mean, because of resources we've already invested. It's a weird concept, so let me illustrate it with an example. You go to a movie and you spend $12 for a ticket. And 40 minutes into the movie, you realize it's a terrible movie and you hate it. You're hating it. You don't want to see the end of it. But the sunk cost fallacy makes you stay to watch the movie because you've sunk $12 into the ticket even though you hate the experience you paid for. Here's another example. We all have office supplies in our office or our school um, supply cabinet or our home office cabinets that we spent a bunch of money on some time ago that now because of the digital office practices that everybody's using, they're no longer used. We used to bind reports for everybody in a meeting and now we email those reports around or park them in a shared group on a network somewhere. There are tons of expensive office supplies out there that no one is ever going to use again. That money spent is a sunk cost of doing business when it was spent, and that value has truly all drained away. The value of the movie ticket drained away the minute you started the movie. So you see that the monetary value, the price in currency that we place on something is in itself kind of a nebulous figure. Monetary value is never as simple as the last price that was paid for something. It's confounded by meaning that we assign to things, by the usefulness that we have that they have for us, and all kinds of other factors. 
So now I'd like to hear your feedback about this concept of monetary value. And let's see what the group has to say today. Connie said it took me ages to get my head around the sunk cost idea. My money has already been spent. That is, it's a tough one for a lot of people. And it takes thinking about examples like uh, the movie ticket. Another one that I ran across as I was reading for this was a baseball game. You know, sometimes you, you buy your ticket, you go to a baseball game, and your team is down 15 runs by the third inning. And you're just miserable. You're having a terrible time. And you know and they, they can't pull it out. <laughs> and they're probably not. I mean, there's the one in a million chance that they're going to they're gonna win that game at, or that it's going to get more fun for you. Right. But the, the balance, you know, it's balanced against what else could you be doing with that time. You could leave and go do something fun now. You and your friends who went to this game could go have a good laugh about it at a bar somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> or go get dinner or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. That concept of – so money always retains its value, right? Like we know that the, the physical dollar bill that we have behind it says 100 has a $100 value to it forever as long as you have that $100 bill in your hand right now in the United States until we burn it to the ground. The $100 <laughs> is worth $100, right? But the minute you trade that $100 for an object – then you're now you've exchanged that hundred dollar bill for something else that's worth a hundred dollars in the moment that you buy it, and then there's no guarantee that that hundred dollars isn't immediately going to drain away as you use the object. Now, and the car example is one that I think everybody understands. We've just come to accept that you pay an outrageous amount of money for a car. You finance it to pay. Now they're financing them for 60 months, 63 months, 72 months. Like you have to pay forever for the car. And the minute you drive off the lot as the new owner, then all half of that, you know, a big chunk of that value drop just immediately goes away. If you were to drive out of that dealership and go down the street and drive into another dealership, you couldn't get your money back. You could get some portion of your money back, but you couldn't get all your money back. And so we sort of accept that about cars, and I'm not really sure why. We It's just part of the uh, understanding that we have about cars that, yeah, it's going to drop in value as soon as we drive it off the lot. And part of that has to do with we actively are using cars. We're driving them around, and so they're constantly um, – the wear and tear on the car is constantly increasing. But there's also just some – there's a built-in hype on the new car. Well, and so much is, of the is value – baked in. So much of the value, the value, I'm putting that in quotation marks, of a car yeah. is fake anyway. It's perception, right? You know, they are selling, they're selling you, I don't know what the real number is, but say $10,000 worth of equipment and $30,000 worth of image and prestige <laughs> and uh, social status and marketing hype et cetera, et cetera, and so forth it has right? the price of a, of a new car has very little to do with the, the cost or even right? I, yeah, I would even say the usefulness yeah you know um, and the car is just one that we refer to it in this context because it's one that everybody sort of generally accepts and understands and if you can extrapolate that concept to the clothes in the closet for instance you paid 
you know, the fashion industry wants you to think that last season's clothes are awful. You know, six months ago, those clothes were fabulous. Six months later, they're awful, and you have to have the new clothes. And you're paying that inflated price to be on the cutting edge of the moment of fashion. And 20 years later, that ship has sailed. <laughs> you are not on the moment of fashion anymore. And the idea that, you know, you spent $500 on the dress, um, you're not going to get $500 out of it. Now, there's always people that buy um, really fancy labels and very expensive, you know, they invest in, in really famous designer stuff. And there's probably a secondary market, but people always say that to me like that reflects all of the clothes in the closet. And it 100% does not. It represents, if you're lucky enough to be buying clothes at that level, it probably represents 20%, 25% of your closet. And then the rest of the stuff, not so much. So when I get into these discussions with clients about the valuable things that they have that are worth money that they want to convert them into cash somehow they want to realize they want to make the exchange backwards right like you spent the money for the object and now you want the object to turn back into cash and you want it to be an equal flip you put a hundred dollars into it you want a hundred dollars back out of it and the truth is hardly ever is that going to happen the things that do appreciate and do have some other Intrin added value over time value or yeah yeah yeah, yeah. It, you might be able to turn it around for money, but it's going to be a small sliver of all. Of, if you have two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand things in your house, you know, twenty of them or thirty of them are going to have some kind of appreciative value because of the current collectibles market or the current, um, you know, designer market or whatever. And the other one hundred and ninety nine thousand nine hundred and twenty things are not going to have any value. And so, um, you know getting into a discussion about whether those 20 things are going to realize some money is kind of defeating your um, original purpose, which is to de declutter the house. And there's plenty of other things to deal with besides trying to get those 20 things to turn into cash. You know, another thing that kind of illustrates the amount of intangible stuff that's baked into the selling price of things is the fact that if you go if you go buy a new tv or something and you take it home and you take it out of the box and you don't even do a thing with it you put it all back in the box and take it back to the store they will give you your money back but then in most cases they're going to have to sell it for a little less than you bought it for because they recognize the box was open <laughs> the, once the box is opened it's lost a little of the luster and people don't right. trust don't trust it as a new thing, so it has to be sold as open box or returned items, yeah, yeah. certified pre-owned or something like that. Right. Lise said we had a lot of fun running around trying to find a certain beanie baby, not looking at a payoff. It was just fun. This was before kids. Right. And that's the healthiest attitude to take towards collectible stuff do it because you enjoy it do it because you love looking at them and showing them off to your friends don't do it anticipating that big payday right 
you probably don't don't expect that you're uh, you know it's not like you're investing in gold bullion <laughs> you're just buying some beanie babies and part of that is the shopping fun right you're paying you're paying a, a 20 bucks to have a good time to, uh, for the hunt and yeah. you know that money is spent and you got the experience and you can move on yeah the beanie baby is not really worth a whole lot at this point <laughs> um Burmet, I apologize if that's not how it's pronounced, says decluttering my wardrobe and the endowment endowment effect is so real and took a shirt from a pile to donate designated a while ago, but I put it back last evening. <laughs> this is why when you go to donate something, you have to take it out right away because the truth is once it's gone, you probably will never think about it again. But if you let it sit around, you will reshop your own piles and back it will go in the closet. <laughs> So um, if you're feeling uncertain about that one, then I would try to go back into the closet and find something else like go and um, go, okay, I put one in. So now I need to replace it with another donation and let something come out until you get to the point that you can let that one go. And the fact that you let go of it once means that there is some hesitation uh, about it for you. Like you have a dream that the clothing, that piece of clothing is going to wear well it's going to suit you it's going to be used in the, more frequently than it has been something like that and um if you can try to put it in in rotation put it back on think about it pay attention to it and if it doesn't get used for two weeks three weeks then you know you're just having a wishful moment you're just having wishful thinking and you need to let it go again <laughs> Set it free. <laughs> Set it free. <laughs> Send it off. And that's a perfect example of there's Rowan's concept of you're someday, someday you're going to wear this shirt. Could be somebody else's. I need to wear it right now because I'm naked, right? Like because I have nothing. And so if, if you're be feeling wishy-washy about it, then, you know, you can err on the side of caution and keep it, but if you do, then I would go find something else that you can let go of instead. And there is Miss Maida raising her hand. Maida, talk to us. Hello. Hi. So what I've been trying to – hi, how are you? I'm what good. I've been trying to do is force myself to wear something that I've got sitting there because usually there's something wrong with it. Right. Exactly. And you can't – it might look okay, but in the on the hanger – but after you wear it for a day, you can decide if you're going to incorporate it back in or if it's just really not going to work. Right. And sometimes, you know, we have the dream that it's going to work, right? <laughs> when you bought it, you were hoping that it worked. But then you get it home and you have it for a while. And it's like, well, except that it always catches on my hips or it doesn't. It, it's too tight around my shoulders or that color doesn't really look as good as I would hope that it does. And so you get to the place where you're like, hmm, yeah, there's 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 a small thing that bothers you about it. And if you can recognize it in that moment and go, yeah, this annoys me. And that means I'm never going to pick this. I'm always going to bypass it for something else then you can let it go. That's um, super helpful. Elka on Facebook has a good example of sunk cost. Okay. She says, I keep all the books I have not finished because I paid money for them, even if I do not particularly like the story. Sunk cost. <laughs> you know, and there's sort of a second sunk cost with books. I I used to feel like 
Well, I started reading this, so I have to finish reading it. And I realized that that's... It's like going to the... Saying it's a terrible movie. Yes, exactly. And the, the moment when I realized that I did not have to do that was when I was reading um, one of the later books in the Vampire Chronicles. And it was about 1,900 pages long. And I got about, you know... 600 pages in and I just thought think of all the books I will never read if I waste the time finishing this <laughs> you know? if I go the rest of the other 1200 pages through this <laughs> yeah to heck with it yeah right um, well and you know book, book people love books and they value them greatly and it's hard to think you know again it's like it's it's also that it's now my book that means it's really important because i own it right like it has that endowment factor to it as well because it's become your book but this is another one to apply you know your someday you're going to read this book might be somebody else's i need to read it now and so you can you know send that one on and let whoever needs to read that book have it it's okay to admit you chose poorly <laughs> <laughs> Or in a in a book buying frenzy, right? Like, yeah, you know, women totally understand this about being in, at the at the clothing store and having some salesperson be super enthusiastic with them about, oh my gosh, that looks great on you. That's yes, and you're asking, are you sure this looks okay? Oh, it looks <laughs> fabulous, right? Like they're you know dreaming commission in their head and they're selling you on how great it looks and and you know we want to believe that we look fabulous and so then we take it home and go. What was I thinking? That is some craziness. And you can do the same thing with a book. Like, sure, that'll be great. I'll just add it to the pile. And you get in a buying frenzy, and then you end up with some things that probably aren't your best choices. Well, and even, you know, to play, not devil's advocate, that's not the right term, but, you know, just even to put the nicest motives on it, even if they're not dreaming of a commission, they feel enthusiastic about trying to help people find things to wear and you know it, it feels making them good. feel good and it yeah it's good to them to match someone up to something and so they might be a little inclined to exaggerate <laughs> or <laughs> connie says my mom and aunt gave me things saying they were valuable not to throw it away now i feel stuck with these items hoping i can pass them on to those who will appreciate them well, and, and that's your mom and your aunt's version of, I have now endowed them with value because I've owned them, and I spent money on them, or I inherited them, and I am going to send them on with that endowed value, and you're supposed to recognize my perceived value of the object. And, and we get into this discussion a lot where it's like, you know, you think it has value. You don't want to try to realize the money for it. You want to pass that perceived value on to the next person. And you don't, as the recipient, you don't see the value. You don't have the same memories about it. You don't have the same interest in it. And it becomes it. What they think has tons of value has uh, little or no value to you. And so recognizing that some of those things, you just have to go, sorry, mom, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm sending it on. And depending on, you know, if your mom and your aunt are still around, uh, maybe you want to have a discussion about it. Maybe you can ask another family member if they're interested, 
Or you can just say, thanks so much, mom. And then, you know, turn around and send those things out some other way. And then, you know, tell her that you sold them for money or something, whatever makes her, whatever lessens the blow. But once she's passed it on to you, expecting you to maintain her perception of the value of the object is not realistic. And, and it is a burden. And it's probably not her intention to make you feel burdened. But if that's the end result, then negotiating a different response other than you ending up having to keep it all is probably a good thing. And she's probably just trying to she's trying to clear her decks and pass along the things that she thinks are important to somebody while she's still able. So she's, you know, she's trying to do the right thing and she's just not bothering to check whether. <laughs> The people that she's giving this stuff to have see the same value in the thing that she does. And that's going to happen. You know, you're going to value things really important, find things really, really important that other people are going to end up with the stuff and not find it of the same value at all. And that's what happens when you pass that your was, stuff on. That idea about the need to pass on the, the valuable things was the focus of a, a very the very animated conversation on in YouTube comments that prompted our ser the series on value and I think it's hard for people to recognize or acknowledge that so much of value is just a construct it's just mm -hmm. it's a story we've it's a story we've made up it's a meaning we've assigned that doesn't make it meaningless it's just it's a meaning we have assigned and we do, that meaning isn't necessarily shared with other people and, and it doesn't pass from person to person intact right oh, right like right. the idea that your meaning can be handed off with the with the object and the other person will receive the object and the meaning as well is um is not realistic it's not sometimes realistic. it's true yeah. but that's just if the other person likes it like you do and not right. everybody will yeah there you might have to persuade them you might have to make <laughs> them understand you know con convey to them what it means to you if yeah. you really want them to care about it and this is where people get hung up by, you know, they want to pass that value and understanding um, to someone in their family. And because that feels like, you know, you're keeping the value in the family. And yet the family members may not be people that are into the thing that you're trying to pass on. So what was interesting and valuable to you may not be interesting and valuable to them. And if you have, you know, two children or three children and those three people don't share your interest in or your love of this thing, then in order to pass the value on to someone who perceives it like you do, you may have to go farther afield to find a way to send that value on, that perceived value on to someone else. And if it's important enough to you, then you can go searching outside of your family for somebody to do that with. But then you're, you know, in essence, giving away, donating something of value to somebody who cares. And so then it becomes, if I give the value out of the family, you know, am I giving value, inheritance value away from my family? But if the family doesn't care, 
then it really has no inheritance value inside the family. Does that make sense? It's like if it's if they're not into it too, then keeping it in the family doesn't keep the value in the family. It just keeps the object in the family. And it, and you may have to surrender that that your perception of its value out to somebody else in order to for your perception of that value to be passed along. We all inherit, uh, you know, our our parents two hundred thousand things. <laughs> and we don't see the same value in that stuff that any that they do ever because we're all different people right april says my teen daughter has no problem getting rid of something she just bought i'm trying to be more like her <laughs> right and you know good for her um, and hopefully she is she's able to do that sort of it, it one thing in one thing out she keeps her contents and own her belongings at a level that she considers to be manageable and when it becomes too much she can let things go and good for her on the subject of the closet liana on facebook says 20 years later those clothes will be back in style and might be worth something <laughs> of course there's there's a real big and obvious problem with that which is which is unless your unless your closet is several acres <laughs> you will be drowning in clothes by the time the 20 years goes by yes well and the other thing too is that it, they might be worth something after 20 years but to a much more targeted focused vintage clothing market so then instead of everybody thinking that those things are cool you have to find the sliver of people that like to wear vintage clothes and like to wear the vintage era that you're into that you own and they want to buy those clothes from you and so you know the original market for the clothes was everybody wearing current fashion and the 20 years from now, 25 years from now, when it becomes vintage, then you're looking at a whole uh, greatly reduced population of people that care. There are people who will buy and wear vintage clothing. They'll buy and modify vintage clothing, um, and, and but it in no way will equal the amount of stuff that's out there. <laughs> right there you there's not as many collectors as there are as there is stuff out there and and the equivalent of that to me is uh, there was a there was a period where john grisham was cranking out a new book every year or every however you know constantly new 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 and people that were following along were reading john grisham's books and they were like tapping their toes and waiting when's the book coming out and the minute it came out everybody raced out and bought the, the new John Grisham hardback and they spent $26 or whatever for it. And then all of those books went to half price <laughs> afterwards and they got, you know, some penny on the dollar for the $26. And so there was a huge volume of all those books available for resale. Well, all the people that were super into it bought it the first time. And then the secondary market of used books is not, equal to the primary market of buying the book when it first comes out and so there was a huge supply and a much smaller demand and so those books resold at half price books for instance for a fraction of what they were originally paid for and that made everybody angry and it's like well 
all this crazed John Grisham fans bought it when it first came off the press. And then the rest of us are like, uh, Grisham, okay. <laughs> but I'm not going to spend more than $3 for it. So it's the more popular it is when it's being sold, the larger the supply is that then goes into the secondary market. And there's a much smaller um, audience in the secondary market, in the vintage clothing market, in the you know, historical whatever market later. It's another <clears throat> illustration of the disparity between value and price because that hard, the hardcover book, I never buy hardcover books anymore, but... But you did back in the day. I did once upon a time. And if I were willing to wait for a year until the paperback comes out, I can get that very same book for six dollars in the paperback edition so mm -hmm. you know what's the what's the the value of the extra is the value of being able to read it in that first year between Getting it now cover and 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 if it's worth that to you if you're if you're a really dedicated fan and you're surrounded by other de dedicated mm -hmm. fans and you know you won't be able to hold your head up if other people are talking about this book that you haven't read yet then maybe it's worth that eighteen dollars to you, but that's but you know. But it's, that's it's, the marketing high price. That's the get yeah, it now price. That's the I have exactly. to have it because everybody else has it price, right? Yeah. Yeah. On the subject of uh, of technology, Diane on Facebook said, "My friend likes to say technology rots." <laughs> and Wolf chimed in and said, "What's funny with people not wanting to buy something?" refurbished uh, is that the refurbished items are more likely to not have problems because they've been thoroughly tested in the process of being refurbished for resale. Right. That's a good point. A My own preference point. is I have a friend whom you know who's an early adopter who gets the, the, the newest and best everything apple everything tech yes everything anything, apple yeah anything apple that they make he has to have a brand new one and, as soon as it comes out the and then it comes out he doesn't need the old one <laughs> anymore and so i get the two or three year old version at a fraction of the price that right? they, they charged for it well and in his his love of all things new Apple means that he buys the computer and he uses it for a year and then he's turning it over for the new model. Like it hasn't even yeah. been, he hasn't even used it up, but it's not like it got broken in a year. It just stopped being the newest one. And so, you know, he, it's his thing. But we all, all of his friends around him benefit from the constant stream of cast-offs that come from him. We get to get into Apple for a price that's reasonable as a as a side effect of that, which is, you know, we appreciate it so much. We do. <laughs> On the subject of collectibles, Lorraine said, for me, it was cow parade cows. I'm not even familiar with those. Oh, 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 yeah. So those are the, you know, where they, they did it as a fundraiser. I can't remember what it was about, but they did these huge cow sized sculptures and they had various artists paint you know create and paint these cows and they were all crazy oh, and then they oh. put them out around as as a sculpture outdoor sculpture art and then they made miniature versions of them for people to buy and take home oh i did not know collect. that i didn't know about the miniatures all, 
Yeah, nice. yeah. It was a little fundraising. A way to add to the fundraising was that everybody got to have their own cows. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in the moment while the cows, all the, the new one was going up and they, they, you know, they would go and add another one. And it, it was, you know, it, they created that collectible frenzy around it. And now hardly anybody remembers about the cows. <laughs> you had to have been around for it. <laughs> That's so funny. Tammy said, my time and energy to find buyers for pack and take those clothes, books, etc., is more valuable than the price versus giving to goodwill or friends. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. I think that's a very um, underappreciated aspect of the whole equation is what is your time worth? Mm-hmm. And it's a perfect, um, you know, it's a perfect segue into the final thought, actually, <laughs> if you're ready to go there. Hold that thought. Yes, let me okay. make, uh, there's so many more comments on and we're, okay, not, yeah, please. we're not going to get to them all today, but um, Lise yeah. added, bad movie can be turned into a good nap time. <laughs> I have been known to do that myself. Pay $12 for the nap. Okay. Right, right. <laughs> nice, quiet, cool, dark room. Right. Yeah. Let me quickly get to a couple of announcements first is i want to thank our newest patrons and i can't remember and i don't want to have to listen to our own videos to figure out who i have already acknowledged so i might be acknowledging some people a second time oh well i want to thank our our latest patreon supporters Kirilyn, isabel stephanie nancy linda joe Lorraine and Jane, we are Yay. so grateful for your support. We really are. Thank you so much for that commitment. I appreciate that everybody um, values our content enough to help us make it happen. And so thanks so much for for joining in. We're appreciative. And if you would like to support us with a recurring monthly donation, go to cfhou.com slash Patreon. I also want to remind people who are with us live that we have a YouTube channel with more than 100 videos on lots of organizing topics. Go to cfhou.com slash YouTube. Da, da, da. Okay. You can subscribe to our channel on YouTube and click the bell icon next to the subscribe button if you'd like to get notifications when we post new content. Let's go to your final thought. Okay, I'm ready. So we wrestle with giving away things that we think have some monetary value. And however that makes us hesitate, it's all about the cash we think we're giving away. It feels wasteful, like we're throwing away cash, or shameful when we feel like we spent our money stupidly in the first place. But when we're wrestling with that perceived monetary value, we forget to factor in all the non-monetary costs that might weigh against the monetary value. I'm talking about all the effort you spend to clean, maintain, and store something. So consider all of your time that physical effort takes up. And the biggest cost to me is the social life, the self-improvement, the relaxation that you deny yourself because you're living with that stuff. When the house is out of control, we don't invite others in. When we feel like the chore is hanging over our head, we don't enjoy other fun activities out of guilt. Keeping stuff that gets in our way costs us time, attention, and living space is a non-monetary cost in terms of quality of life. And we need to factor that into the equation when we're worrying about giving up things that are worth money. 
For many things, the cash value in no way compensates for the exchange you make in terms of your quality of life. And I just want you to keep that in mind when you're trying to wrestle with, but if I donate this, I'm giving money away. You also need to ask yourself, but what non-monetary things am I sacrificing in order to keep this monetary value in the house? Consider both of those factors when you're trying to make your donation choices. And hopefully that'll help you send things on the way. I want to remind everyone that we'll, our next webcast will be on Tuesday, November 10th at noon U.S. Central Time, live in Zoom and streaming on Facebook. Assuming that the United States hasn't degenerated into civil war or something, cross your fingers. <laughs> We're going to continue with our series on value. Uh, we're going to talk about holding on and letting go. And we are also working on something for a, f a future a future week's topic, which is video of your garage project. You want to give us an update on the garage project? Yes. So I, it has actually happened. Um, I spent two days this week, uh, this last past week, with my friend Karen Baker and her mother Velma, and they allowed me to come and work in their garage. And so we, in that basically nine-hour period, we refreshed their garage and got rid of a huge amount of stuff, and I took video all along the way. So um, we're going to try to edit. We don't want to give you nine hours of video, so we're going to edit it down to something that is watchable. And uh, we will then you can have an experience of here's what a cluttery job looks like. This is what a decluttering process looks like. And um, Karen and her mother were great in the process. And Velma is adorable. <laughs> you will love <laughs> Velma. She's adorable in there. And so um, it, it will be a lot of fun. And we hope to give you a sense of what it's like. If you've never worked with an organizer before, this will be a way for you to watch the process and see how it goes. And hopefully you can feel like you have a better idea of what it would be like to spend the money to have somebody come and help you work on the project. So that's what we're going to, we're going to do our best to make it a video that doesn't go on too long and then uh, let you have that experience. All right. Thanks if to them. Watch, if you're watching this on YouTube, we'd love for you to join us live to get notifications about upcoming events. We invite you to join the meetup group by visiting cfhou.com slash meetup. You can also follow us on Facebook by visiting cfhou.com slash Facebook or subscribe to our mailing list by visiting cfhou.com slash subscribe. We love to hear from you. We really do. We get lots of energy and inspiration from comments and questions from our viewers. And you can always reach us through our website at clutterfairhouston.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Think good thoughts about us as we uh, wait for the election results, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.